0: In the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Here's something that we might take for granted, the language of salvation. In Luke's gospel in particular, we hear the phrase, your faith has saved you numerous times. In the 2,000 years since the writing of that book, this language has been analyzed and over-analyzed. What exactly does "saved" mean? Saved from what? How? Why? These are things whose answers we take for granted. We're trained each week in our liturgy to describe this salvation. We depict our need for salvation and our confession of sin, and we share our hope for that salvation in the confession of faith. We know that we are sinners, we know Jesus' blood and sacrifice have paid for our sin. But this reality can, for so many, perhaps even for you, be clouded over and be so obscure that sin and eternal death don't really seem like pressing concerns. What you really need to be saved from might be sickness or poverty Trauma, or abusive relationships, or mental illness, or any number of things. What do you need to be saved from? The ten men who saw Jesus somewhere in the borderlands between Samaria and Galilee were afflicted with a need, and they needed to be saved from their leprosy. In their example, the gospel shows, too, how Jesus cleanses our leprosy. You may see that salvation is only from Him, and that life continues in Him. We have four books called Gospels, a word which itself merely means good news. In that basic definition, every single book of the Bible can be called Gospel because, to one degree or another, the good news is proclaimed in every one of those 66 books. And what is that good news? Well, the four books titled as Gospels themselves present it the most impactfully. The good news is the life of Jesus. God had been planning man's salvation since before the foundation of the world, and he started to pull back the veil from it on the first moments after Adam and Eve sinned. There he promised the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, freeing mankind from their new slave master in sin glimpses and promises continued to be shown throughout history that this savior would come out of the line of abraham of isaac of jacob of judah of david and then finally in the gospels the glory starts shining in earnest the angel gabriel was sent from god to a town of galilee named nazareth to a virgin pledged in marriage to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david the virgin's name was mary The angel went to her and said, Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. In Jesus, the time for our salvation comes. But his plan of salvation would not be anything expected by sinful men who were still under the heel of their slave master, the devil. St. Luke tells us some of the Pharisees and lawyers who rejected God's purpose for themselves, rejected God's purpose for themselves. And this is the purpose of God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That purpose would come about in Jesus, who described his plan, look, I am going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day, because it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside Jerusalem. God's plan of salvation was precisely that this son would live Preach and heal and then die in Jerusalem. The goal, hear it again, the goal was that he would die in Jerusalem. Great plan. That's what Jesus was doing here. He was on his way to Jerusalem. His face was set toward that goal. He was walking on his way to die. And remember, he was headed there to save. Those lepers who saw him were men who had to know, based on their society and based on their disease and their pain, that nothing short of a miracle from God could save them. They were banished, they were incurable, they were walking dead men. So all they could do was cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master, they call him. They don't say Kyrie in Greek, Lord. But the basic idea is the same, that they submit themselves to the authority of this Jesus. He is greater than they are. He's not a mere man, a citizen of Israel. He's not simply a prophet. He is their master. So they beg their master, have mercy on us. And there they do say, eleison, just as we do in our liturgy. Salvation could only come from him and his mercy think about that when we sing our Kyrie eleison in a state of destitution with nothing that could possibly help us all we can do is cry out for mercy but it's not a hopeless cry it's a cry that is full of certainty and faith your faith has saved you jesus ultimately told the one samaritan leper who returned to thank and praise him Hear those words for yourself. Your faith has saved you. Saved in this pericope is synonymous with two other words, cleansed and healed. As they went away, the ten were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he was the one told, your faith has saved you. Now maybe there are a little more than just synonyms, but the point remains the faith that saved did so precisely because it was tied straight to the Savior, the one who gave the cleansing word to the leper who healed him, to whom he returned to give thanks and praise for his salvation. Salvation is only from him, and life continues in him. Get up and go your way, Jesus told the leper. He was free to go back to life among God's people. Leprosy, that infamous skin disease of an unclear nature, removed people from the congregation. The law says for as long as the infection is on him, he shall remain unclean. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. So maybe now this man was about to go and show himself to the priests as Jesus had originally instructed all ten That way, the priest could officially declare him clean so he could enter the community. The other nine were certainly going to do so, but both Jesus and St. Luke want to emphasize the difference in this one man. He's the only one commended for his faith. The others are commended with, three others are commended with that same phrase, that your faith has saved you, in Luke's gospel. And the first, is in chapter seven, where Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house when a sinful woman from that town learned that he was reclining at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him near his feet weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she began to wipe them with her hair while also kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Of course, the Pharisees turned up their noses at this, and Jesus said to the woman, Your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I see two things that demonstrate her faith here. She wept over her great need, over her great sins, crying for mercy. And she glorified her Savior, serving him as her master. And another time, while Jesus was on his way to raise the daughter of Jairus from death, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years approached Jesus from behind and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately, her flow of blood stopped. And this was in the middle of a large crowd, all bumping and jostling one another. But still, Jesus realized what had happened and halted the movement until he found the woman who had touched him sheepishly she stepped forward trembling and fell down before jesus where she told everyone what she did and why she did and what had happened for her then jesus said daughter your faith has saved you go in peace and again i see two things that demonstrate her faith she came to jesus with her need and she told the truth about his power giving him the glory And then in the chapter after this healing of the lepers, Jesus heard the call of a blind man named Bartimaeus crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And while others tried to quiet him, the man kept calling out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus asked the man what he wanted, he asked for his sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you immediately he received his sight and began following jesus glorifying god do you see the pattern once more two things demonstrate the faith bartimaeus begged jesus for what he needed and he glorified him petition and glory these seem to be markers of faith which receives these gifts this salvation of Jesus our master now think of our liturgy once again we sing our curiae and immediately after begging for God's mercy comes the Gloria glory be to God on high and on earth peace goodwill toward men we praise you we bless you we worship you we glorify you we give thanks to you for your great glory as those who have received the salvation of our Lord and Master our Savior Jesus cleansing us From the leprosy of sin, we come to him with every desperate need we feel, especially those sins, and immediately we glorify him as the Exalted One. The ongoing life of the Christian is a daily repetition of this salvation story, and it's a picture of the very story of how salvation was won. Jesus died. The Son of God suffered horribly on a humiliating cross. Lord, have mercy. And the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. The Son of Man who suffered the punishment for all sins of all time of every human being came to life in power and glory. Glory be to God on high. The great Lutheran theologian Martin Chemnitz wrote about the causes of justification using philosophical terminology that we don't need to spend a lot of time on here. But the point is this, that the ultimate end to which God has justified human beings is of course the glory of God and of Christ and of life eternal. That means that all justification, all salvation aims at the greater praise and glory of God and of Jesus Christ, his son. God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Christian life will be a life of praise and thanks to God. So does the name of Jesus make you fall and bow like the saints and angels in heaven? God has justified you so that you can praise his Son. The same theologian Chemnitz also stated that the work of justification is entirely due to the merciful God, who gratuitously washes and sanctifies, sealing and anointing with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the pledge of our inheritance on account of his most beloved only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who when we were enemies, because of his exceeding love with which he loved us, through his most holy suffering on the tree of the cross, Merited justification for us and made satisfaction to God the Father for us through the sacrament of baptism as well as the preached word and the regular giving of the sacrament of the altar as means through which faith is given and strengthened for salvation. So like the lepers who have to understand that there is no hope for them we understand there's no hope for us no hope except grace the love of God who gives it not because of us, but because of his Son. And it comes to us precisely according to his promise and in the way that he has promised, in no other. That's exactly what God's word tells us in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. That overabundant grace of God is shown to us in the ways that he gives us that grace. Through the preached word that can never be silenced. Through your baptism that makes you an adopted child of God. Through the Lord's Supper that you may eat and drink each time it is offered as medicine for immortality. I haven't spent much time talking about the other nine lepers, and the gospel lesson doesn't spend much time talking about them either. Whether they had faith or not is immaterial to the point. They didn't thank Jesus. They didn't praise him. This one servant who had nothing left was given everything by his Savior and Lord, and he returned to bow before him and thank him. And this is what our ongoing lives as Christians will look like through the work of the Holy Spirit. Our tongues are loosed. Our knees are unlocked. We bow before our glorious God. We sing his praises even in faltering voices. We cry to him in need and we thank him for his grace. It's not anything we deserved, we disgusting, leprous, infected people. It's not anything. We can think to do by ourselves. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. By grace you have been saved. and Salvation is really necessary, however we might take it for granted. All the world is guilty before God because of sin, both inherited sin and committed sin. But the gospel is the wonderful message of God about Jesus Christ and giving Jesus Christ by which he declares us righteous and saves us without any work on our part, you are saved. You are healed. You are cleansed by Jesus, your Savior. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen.